Hello everyone and welcome back to Practical Wisdom. In this series, we're focusing on the fear of success. I'd like to welcome Mr. Peter Scott from the Fearless Life Academy and also best-selling author of The Fearless Mindset. So hi, Peter, how are you doing today? Amazing, Jackie. Thank you so much for inviting me to be interviewed for this series. Of course, so you know the thanks is on me, of course. Um, Peter is a mentor of mine. I have gone through his Fearless Life Academy and also follow a lot of his work and have read his book. So that would be good if I'm going to interview him. Um, and um, Peter, uh, if you wouldn't mind, you want to take a moment to kind of tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you're up to, you know, recently. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm a coach. We have a coaching company called Fearless Coach Academy. We help them um, generate leads online, acquire clients, and scale a coaching business. Um, and my kind of secret mission behind all of that, Jackie, is li literally to transform humanity's relationship with fear so that it never stops us. Because I think if there's one thing that gets in our way of whether it's the job that we want, the relationship, the health, it's fear. And um, we teach a lot of strategy, as you know, for coaches, but we also do a lot of deep mindset work. So I'm on a mission to help not eradicate fear. I don't think that's healthy. I think there's a healthy dose of fear, you know, at times, but to shift our relationship with it so that it no longer stops us. Wonderful. Uh, thank you. And I, I may have known that was your mission, but I always love hearing you say it. So um, I, I have a question for you, though. Uh, you know, of course, it's about practical application, because I think sometimes we can get a little ethereal or mystical. But um, why did you begin this mission to really help people be live a fearless life? Yeah, um, we often teach what we want to learn, right? And so I think that's common for coaches, me included. The reason is because my whole life was consumed by it. So when I, you know, one of my earliest memories um, was a pretty traumatic event. I was 10 years old and I had to sit down in a courtroom at a table with my grandparents on my left, an attorney on my right, and my mother directly across from me. And at 10 years old, I had to share with her, my mom, looking into her eyes that I no longer felt safe living with her because of her alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know kind of what fear was at that time, but looking back, I can connect the dots. It's a little bit easier. And I was consumed by it. I, I was afraid of losing love. I was afraid of losing validation. And in that moment, um, I made a decision that by telling my mom the truth, I lost her love because that's what it felt like. And I know that wasn't true. She totally loved me through all of that, but it felt like that because she was devastated. Um, and it created a version of me where I became this people pleaser that was seeking love and approval from everyone around me. Um, and, you know, it was 15, 20 years of me doing personal development and kind of addressing my own fears, reading books, uh, hiring mentors, jumping out of planes, hiking high mountains, where I was able to kind of lift myself from the chains of those fears. And I just became in that process, super passionate about helping others with it. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful story. It's a hard story, but then looked like a nice ending for sure. Yeah. And to be clear, mom, if you're watching this or if you're listening to this, uh, my mom is also my greatest hero. She's actually been sober now for 20, over 20 years. Oh, so she's wow. had a huge transformation in her own life. And I often believe like some of our most painful life events teach us our greatest life lessons. And so, you know, many people can kind of feel uh, victim to circumstances. And I know some people's lives are definitely harder than others. And I think that some of that resistance often shapes our character into who we can become. So yeah, I just want to acknowledge my mom there in the positive. Good job. Way. Good job, mom. We still <laughs> yeah. love you. Um, so 
before we kind of get into the fear of success, I'd be curious if um, I, I like to define things because we all have a different perspective. So if you had to define success, what would that look like for you? One of, so the first thing that came to mind, Jackie, is this. Uh, success is not the result of action. Success is action, period. So I would, design, I would define success as action. If you're taking action towards your goals, whether it's you know, deepening your love relationship or you know, getting that promotion in your job or launching a business and building it from scratch, I don't believe that you need to have a certain result at the end of that to be deemed or feel successful. As long as you're making progress, as long as you're taking action, putting one foot in, the fr in front of the other, that implementation is so, so important. And by doing that, the success is unavoidable, I believe. So, you know, are there going to be failures? Yes. Are there going to be setbacks? Absolutely. And we need to go through those things in order to achieve success on the other side often. Uh, but just the action in and of itself is success to me. Wonderful. So then if we were to uh, back that up and reframe it and use it, then is the fear of success the fear of action? For people? Ooh, okay. Um, mm, very good. Possibly, but I don't think they're afraid of taking action. I think they're take. I think the result of action is what they're afraid of. So, so let's go even deeper. Yeah. This is good. This is like meta meta. So, <laughs> what do people often? And, and I, I'm only going to speak, Jackie, from my own experience. Yeah, please. Do. Um, the thing that scared me more than anything else when it comes to taking action. Let's just talk about the context of building a business, right? Um, I had a job, I had the security there, went out on my own, and there's a total, whole lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I wasn't necessarily afraid, for me personally, about the action that I was taking, or even whether or not I was going to fail or succeed. What I was afraid of was people's perception, was judgment, rejection. Those were the things that cut me to my core. The reason is because we often, right, want to feel loved. And I think two of our greatest fears is feeling unworthy or feeling unloved. And so to answer your question, I don't think people are afraid of action, but they may be afraid of what people's responses are to their action. So if we kind of meta, 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 meta that, right? So if, if fear of success could be reframed to sometimes be the fear of losing love or losing belonging, would yes. that be fair? Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's the flip side of the coin. That's also fear of failure, right? If we fail, then we may lose love. But if we succeed, we may also lose love. Yeah. And I think that's actually a great point. And that I hear a lot with others in self and personal development. They said you have to remember that just because you're growing and changing and evolving doesn't necessarily mean those around you, your partner, your family, etc., are also doing that. So you have to be willing to let them not change totally oh my gosh so much easier said than done right yeah. but it's, you know I, I think one of the greatest freedoms in life is to allow another person to have their own experience so you know i think if we try to force growth upon a loved one uh without permission it's often not received well yeah maybe and, not. <laughs> yeah and it doesn't it doesn't mean we give up on them right it doesn't mean that we um but you know we can encourage them but we can also be an example 
of our own, you know, and I, I'll give you a real world example. My sister who I love, who's 28, about to turn 29. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm like the big brother, super protective big brother to her. Um, I used to kind of be a little bit overprotective to where I would like give her advice without permission. I want her to grow in different areas and she wasn't asking for that advice and it actually hurt our relationship for a while. So I'm definitely not an expert here, but I'm learning and navigating that and still loving your family or your friend and yourself, uh, no matter what pace, you know, you are on, on, on the growth, on the, on, on growing. So. Yeah, that makes sense. So now that we've like, uh, like defined like fear and success in some, some way, um, what are, what is some, a practical approach that someone can take if they're, um, gosh, maybe they don't even know what they're afraid of, right? They're just like, I'm stuck in this job. I'm, yeah. Maybe I'm afraid to leave the job. I'm afraid to start my own business. Uh, how does one become, get over fear or, or whatever that means to you? You might not even believe that people get over fear. I don't know. Yeah, well, let's, let's and I'll be super practical here. I want to define though, kind of the way I describe fear because there's two definitions of fear. One is, um, that feeling of like anxiety or agitation that's caused by imminent danger. So if you're in danger, if there's a lion that's about to chase you, um, current environment with the whole virus thing going on, uh, people felt literally in danger. And that's a healthy fear, I think. That fight or flight response keeps you alive. I always say that there's rational fears that keep us alive. That's the healthy fear when you're in imminent danger. There's irrational fears that keep us from living. Mm. And those are the things where fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of not being loved, those things are not imminent danger. They're the chaotic projection of a painful future. And so if somebody is watching, you know, for you watching this or listening to this, I encourage you to write that down, chaotic projection of a painful future. That's ultimately 99% of the fear that us humans today feel in our lives. And again, not all humans. If you're in a place to where we can watch this and listen to this, we're not in, generally speaking, a lot of imminent danger. So one thing is to define whether it's a rational fear or irrational fear. Is that making sense so far? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I would say based on what you just described, um, like fear is not, it's a in positive intention, right? It's your body's positive intention that there's a saber tooth tiger that's going to be bite your head off. Yes. And in that case, you want, you want to know, you want to be afraid, right? Yeah. Ever see a little kid that jumps into a, the water because they don't know to be afraid, right? Totally. So it's that, that's not what we're talking about then. What we're talking about are these chaotic projections of an unknown future. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Fear of, of public speaking, right? Okay. The most, I think the biggest fear of all humans, even, more than death is what people say. So that's often because we're afraid of looking stupid or we're afraid of forgetting what we're going to say or afraid of somebody not agreeing with what we're saying. Whatever those things are, those are projections of a painful future. They haven't happened, but we're concerned that they could happen, right? Yeah. So um, so let's get practical. I think that's really what you want uh, for, for our viewers here. Um, Here's how I look at fear. This is an exercise that I learned uh, when I was writing The Fearless Mindset. I interviewed a bunch of experts. And so I kind of, this doesn't come from me. It comes through me from them and from others. Uh, I think one of the people that first kind of, I learned this from too, is a guy named Tim Ferriss. If you've heard of him, mm -hmm. super famous author. Um, he calls it fear setting. So to give you something practical, a really awesome exercise to do is when you start thinking about a fear, when you start feeling some anxiety, you want to define 
and I know this is going to go against what you're thinking, you want to define the absolute worst case scenario of that fear coming true. And this goes totally opposite of what most people would suggest in personal development, right? We're kind of like, hey, let's be positive and look at the bright side and pretend maybe like that's not there. But our minds don't work that way. And so if we look at it and we take it out of our mind onto paper and we write it out in painstaking detail, number one, the likelihood of that actually coming true is so minuscule that like the chance of that happening is almost not, not happening, right? Um, so that's number one. That begins to release the emotional charge away from that fear. Is that making sense so far? Yes, it is. Thank you. Cool. Second step is once we've got that picture clearly defined, then we list out some of the things that we could do to prevent that thing from happening. So what is one, two, or three things that you could do to prevent that thing from happening? Um, I've got examples of this, but I'll, I'll show those in a moment. So it's like public speaking. If the worst case event, you're like, my clothes fall off, I'm standing there naked, and the, you know, everyone's recording this, and it goes on YouTube Live. Yeah. Okay, cool. So if that happens, well, one thing you could do is make sure to wear a belt, yeah. right? That way you keep the clothes on. But, you know, joking aside, the more that you practice that presentation, that's one thing that you can do preventing yourself from forgetting what you're going to say, right? Now, imagine if we were giving a presentation and we forgot what we we're going to say. That's happened to me many times. So you can't really prevent that. Let's say it just happens. What are some of the things that you could do to repair the situation if it happens? So step one is write out the worst case scenario. Step two is list out the things that you could do to prevent it. And step three is let's just assume it happens. What's one, two, or three things that you could do to repair it? Um, speakers call this, there's actually a term for this jacket called utilization. So if you forget what you're going to say, or if something happens, you're not expecting it, you almost like make a joke out of it. You utilize that. Uh, when I fumble over my words, you'll often hear me say, that's easy for you to say. Yeah. And it breaks the ice a little bit and it cracks a little joke without me being flustered. So those are like that, that little exercise is I do that every single week. Um, I don't have like a set time and day. It's not a daily habit of mine, but I've got fears that come into my, my life every day and every week. And so I just kind of look at them and I'll write those down to paper. Um, there's one other really important piece here. And that is to look at the cost of not doing the thing that's scaring you. So let's say we're talking to somebody who wants to start a business and they want to build a business around, let's just say pick coaching, right? They're passionate about coaching. They want to do that. They're in a good job, they're making decent money, but they're afraid to leave that paycheck behind. What's the cost of not growing your coaching business? What's the cost of letting five, 10, another 20 years of your life go by without pursuing that passion of yours? And when we look at the cost of inaction, that is far more painful than the cost of action. Even if we take that action and we quote unquote fail. So that's really important perspective is looking out 10, 20, 30 years of your life, you know, many years from now. And I just, you know, I've lost loved ones in my life. My father passed, my grandfather, my best friend, Sean, you know, about that, Sean Stevenson. When those things happen, as painful as they are, they often put life in perspective. 
And it kind of reminds me personally that tomorrow is not guaranteed to any of us. And I don't say that to be morbid. I just say that to be real. And when you live life that way, you take more risks, you take more action, and you turn around after looking back, recognizing that everything that you wanted was on the other side of that thing that was stopping you, fear. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, I, I read your book, um, but it, it, it's been a couple of years since you've written it. So I'm curious, since writing it, yep. has anything new, exciting, different, like in terms of this topic of fear, presented itself to you post that, right? Because I'm assuming you learned a ton. Um, if so, you know, what, what, what's come up that's new yeah. post the book? Yeah, um, the book I'm still super proud of, but you're right, it's been four or five years since I wrote the book, so I've learned a lot since then. Um, at the time of writing the book, I felt like I was really good at teaching people how to take action by leveraging self-discipline and willpower, and those things are great. But at the end of the day, Jackie, you know they're pretty limited resources, right? So we gotta go deeper than that. At least there are for me. <laughs> yeah, I think generally most of us have them as limited. So um, if I was to write another book, I would do a much deeper um, focus on our mental and emotional states, uh, our emotions, our beliefs, um, you know, there's, I've studied a lot of neuro-linguistic programming and I'm so grateful to have that tool set in my tool belt because it helps facilitate a lot of change in my own life and in, in, in our clients' lives. And so one thing that I feel like I would have liked to include in that book, and I will in a future book, is the importance of being able to go back and look at your past before we start focusing on the future. Because I was very future focused and that's good at times, but if we don't address the baggage of our past, the negative emotions, the limiting beliefs, they're going to continue to show up as self-sabotage patterns. And some of these things, Jackie, we're not even consciously aware of. And that's the crazy part. Some of them we definitely are, right? But some of them we're not even consciously aware of. So there's a whole process that I would teach to go back and kind of find the root cause events in our childhood, for example, um, where you find that event that created the fear to begin with or created the anger. Because if you think about it, when we're kids, these are just feelings that we're having, right? It's just a sensation. But often as we grow up, we learn from our parents or from our guardians that that feeling is now called sadness or that feeling is now called anger or fear. And now we have a label with it, don't we? Yeah. And so every time we feel that sensation, we get reinforced that label, I'm sad. We start identifying with I'm sad or I'm, and, and those things are critical. And I did not cover those in the book. And I, again, I just know that there's more for me to teach. That means so. Yeah. And that, and that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I never really thought about it, but I know growing up and like I had a, everyone has their, you know, backstory, but um, very often my mom would be angry or I thought she was angry, yeah. but you know, now 40 some years later and she and I have conversations and, it, it was, she labeled it angry, but it was really just, she was afraid, right? She was scared. And that's just how she said it and then how she labeled it. And so, you know, going on through life, I, they were the same thing to me, like these feelings of being angry versus being afraid. I thought they were both kind of the same. And so I'd always want to avoid being angry like my mom, but then you shut off, right? You shut off fear or you shut off certain feelings um, when you're trying to avoid them. So I think yeah. it's really a really key point to, to part that point that out. But with that being said, you learn how to label them, right? So like somebody tells you what fear is or 
how do you know if you're experiencing fear? I mean, is it show up in a certain place for everyone or? I mean, there's actual like physiological uh, responses to it, right? So uh, shortness of breath, um, uh, sweaty palms, uh, faster heartbeat. Those things are physiological changes in your body when you're feeling fear. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Those are also the same things that you're feeling when you're excited. Excited, yeah. <laughs> so here's the crazy part, right? And this is one thing I learned. Uh, one of my mentors taught me this in NLP. He said that uh, two people who one person says they're afraid and the other person says they're super excited. They're getting an fMRI, which is probably some fancy brain scan that I don't know anything about, but they get an fMRI and uh, they notice that both of those people, the same exact spot in their brain is lit up. Whether somebody's feeling fear or whether somebody's feeling excitement, there's literally no physiological or chemical difference in those two emotions. The only thing that's different is the label that we identify with. Mm. And that to me was really profound. Yeah. So I think that when we experience fear, one of my favorite quotes is um, Fritz Priel, I think was his name. And he said, fear is just excitement without the breath. Mm. So when we feel that fear, if you are presenting, for example, how can you breathe into that? How can you look at that as a positive emotion that's gonna channel energy and a message through you that's so powerful that without it, you may just kind of sh show up bored yeah. right so that those are all little like little distinctions or little reframes that we can do with that so if what i thought i heard there though is maybe a sneaky piece in there is if fear can be seen as it's physiological mm -hmm. and shortness of breath is equated with that then one might assume if you slow your breath down or you take a deeper breath that you can shift the state at oh. some level Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So breath work, right? Something that I'm not an expert in, but I'm learning from friends is really powerful for creating a grounded state. And oftentimes if we feel fear, we often feel anxiety as well, or what other people call stress. And so this is another thing about labels, right? Cause we were just talking, you were just sharing about how anger was something that you saw with your mother. Um, and I totally, totally see like all these emotions we see and we learn from our parents often or our guardians. Um, for the person watching this that's thinking, listen, Jackie, Peter, I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. I totally get that because there was times when I thought that too. Uh, oftentimes, um, stress, str fear is just stressed disguised for a high performance. Like, like what stress is, which I think everyone can identify with stress. Mm -hmm. It's just the high achievers version of fear. And if you may not identify with fear, but you feel like you've got some stress in your life, if we follow that stress deep enough, we're gonna find an underlying fear. And when we release that, that's when the stress goes away. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense because you do hear people talk about stress and like you stress and stress, totally. right? But is that sort of the same as talking about like the, the good fear, which is saber-tooth tiger chasing you, right? You want to have more blood in your hands yeah. and your heart so you can run versus like the the bad stress, which is your heart rate and everything's elevated, you're not doing anything about it, right? Totally. Yeah. You stress, which is the good stress and distress, which is the bad stress, right? You stress is good. If we're working out and lifting weights or we're moving our body, that, that is stress on the body. But generally speaking, that's a healthy form of stress. Distress is sitting down in front of your computer and stressed out about your bills 
right? Or figuring out, oh my gosh, I got a presentation, I'm losing sleep over it because I don't know if it's gonna be good. Those are forms of distress. And breathing through that, having things where you can journal, just like the exercise I shared with you, breath work. Um, for me, morning rituals are really important. Yeah. You know, having a way of working out in the morning, journaling, medita meditation, whether whatever you believe is fine, whether it's prayer or meditation, but what that does is it allows me to slow down, it allows me to create space between, let's say, an event that triggers me where I feel afraid or I feel angry and my response to it. So there's so many little things that when we do them, they're easy to do, but because they're easy to do, they're really easy not to do as well. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Right. So um, that was a lot of really great tips and no, in a, in a great way and, and little small things that we can do to sort of adjust. Um, one of the things I, I kind of learned, um, which related to what you just said was safe is same was something that we learned. Like your body doesn't go into like this, oh my gosh, there's a saber tooth tiger when there isn't a tiger, right? When you wake up and that a lot of times the reason like routines can be helpful is it's something you expect, right? Your body knows how to do it. It, there isn't something that there is lurking to make you scared of. So I think that's a very underappreciated and underutilized technique is to, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping, have a nighttime ritual. Yes. Having good sleep helps you have a less stressed out day, right? If you're struggling, have a morning routine where you, even if it's simple as brush your teeth, drink some water, take a walk around the block, but you expect it, right? You know it's gonna happen and it can help. At least that's the perspective that I've heard in terms of routines. I love that. Yeah, it creates certainty, right? If we have a rhythm in our day, we kind of know how our day is starting and we feel, even if we're not in control, we feel more in control. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that state of certainty, you're grounded, you're at peace. Uh, there's a whole lot of uncertainty in our life. And some people actually thrive in uncertainty. Other people, you know, don't, don't enjoy uncertainty. So it depends on kind of your personality and things like that. But uh, for me, I found that structure just, it grounds me. It slows me down. It keeps me focused. It gets me present. Um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in our lives today from our business to our job, to our family. There's things that blindside us that we never expect. And I'm not suggesting that no, these storms are going to stop. They're always going to be there. They'll always come. It's thinking about how can you come up with these daily habits or these rituals, Jackie, that can help us show up as the eye of the storm, where you're grounded and you're rooted, even when there's you know, crazy, craziness going on around. And again, I know that's also easier said than done for some people because of environments, right? Recently, we know that a lot of people were under quarantine. Their kids were not at school. They were home. Right. And, you know, a lot of this. Right. It's that's a different world when you've got multiple kids at home and yeah. you're building, you know, running a business and things like that. So there are always going to be seasons. There are going to be times when you're totally in balance and that's beautiful. There are going to be times when you're super stressed. And in those moments of stress, it's even more important to be able to carve out the time of that routine, even if that makes you know, forces you to wake up at 430 in the morning when you normally wake up at 5 a.m. These are the things where when you do it over time we use less and less of that willpower or self-discipline that's totally required in the beginning and it starts becoming unconscious competence, yeah. right? And that's the goal is to do it enough to create enough repetition so that you just wake up and this is your identity, it's who you are, it's what you do, um, you know, and that, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, so one interesting fact on that where you say you just wake up and you always do it and that's how it goes. My, my husband makes this reference a lot um, 
if you ever talk to someone in Germany and you're like, well, you know, what do you do if you drink too much? Because people assume people in Ger Germans drink a lot. And, and they very distinctly look at you and say, why wouldn't you walk? Like they never, ever even consider driving where we live in Wisconsin in the Midwest. And that's not particularly yeah. point of view, but it's been culturally and every generation for years and years and years that like, yeah, we have a few and we all walk home because that's how we all get home. And so I think that like similar type of thing, if you become unconsciously competent, right? You, because you just are, yeah. I just work out. That's why yeah. wouldn't I work out? You don't make, it doesn't make sense. You would say that. So I, I think that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'd say if I had one piece of advice there, even though I didn't ask myself that question, <laughs> also to be, make things simple, like not a, not this long orchestrated 47 step process, right? Oh. Yeah. Start first waking up right? <laughs> and sure. then adding slowly as time goes by. Yeah. So um, as the Fearless Mindset author and next author, soon some more books, I'm excited. Um, any uh, parting words or thoughts for the audience uh, on, you know, managing the fear of success? Yeah. So um, I would say that the fear of success to me it's a signpost that you're on the right track. So I believe that fear is the only thing that gets smaller the more you run towards it. And the fear will always be there, but it'll get quieter and your courage and your confidence will get bigger. And so if there is fear of success for you watching or listening, then number one, let's honor that. Let's celebrate that. Let's not pretend like it's not there. And let's continue to focus on taking that daily action, putting one foot in front of the other, maybe making some public declarations, right? And admitting the fact that you're afraid around this. I think about all the fear that I had, Jackie, when I first launched our coaching business and I would declare that I was doing it and I would declare that I was terrified doing it. <laughs> and the reason why I did that is because it just kind of took off the pressure for me to pretend like everything was fine. Yeah. So whether that's to your loved ones or to social media, whatever, what I would say is keep moving, keep moving forward. And you're going to look back in awe of what you've created. Absolutely. So Peter, if anyone is interested, cause you mentioned it briefly and thank you for that. Um, I I'm part of your coaching community. A lot of very well-respected coaches that I work with are as well. How can people find out more about the fearless coach Academy? If, if that happens to be on their path. Totally. Thank you for asking. Um, easiest way is actually our private Facebook group. So we've got a private Facebook group that you know of called Earn 100K Coaching. And it's designed for me to teach actionable strategies and mindset shifts of growing a coaching business. A lot of our students, which Jackie, you know, are in there, but also a lot of other coaches. We've got about 3,000, 3,500 coaches in there. Um, and it's just a great free Facebook group to be a part of. So Earn 100K Coaching is the best place to go there. And then just search for me on social media if you want to connect personally. Peter Scott IV as in the fourth is my name. Um, those are the best spots. Right. Thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy these days, but um, it was great having you on here and I'm sure we'll uh, interview you when we hear the next book is out. Absolutely, Jackie. I love that. Thank you for having me today. All right. Bye.